the tax for this morning's service is taken from Luke 23, the verses 39 through 43. Let's read that once again. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are, puni we are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. After the sermon, we will sing from Psalm 103, the verses 4, 6, and 8. Love congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters. On Golgotha, there are three men nailed to three crosses. Christ hangs in the middle with a murderer on either side. He is in the company of two men who have made quite a mess of their lives and who are about to pay the ultimate price for their misspent lives. He is in the company of two murderers. In reality, he, throughout his whole life, he has been in unsavory company, surrounded by murderers. Christ chose such company for himself. He chose the company of such men when he, before the foundation of the world, chose to live in this world as a man. When he was born, he became part of this world full of anger, full of hatred, full of resentment, full of jealousy and murder. And he chose our company, for that is what we are as well, murderers, criminals. You may question that. Are we not any different than those two criminals on the cross? Well, really, we are not any different. The Lord Jesus himself said so at the very beginning of his ministry in Matthew 5. He said that everyone who is even angry with his brother or who calls someone else a fool or some other name is already a murderer. On the basis of the rest of the scriptures, the Heidelberg Catechism works that out further. In its explanation of the Sixth Commandment, the Catechism teaches us that a murderer is someone who dishonors, hates, or injures his neighbor by his thoughts, words, gestures, or deeds. A murderer is someone who has desires of revenge. That is what he is negatively. But it says more. We are told that positively is also someone who does not love his neighbor as himself. We are told that the murderer is someone who does not show patience and peace and gentleness and mercy and friendliness towards his neighbor. We are told that a murderer is someone who does not protect his neighbor from harm as much as he can. And further it says that if you do not want to be counted among murderers, that you must always do good, even to your enemies. Do you see how we all stand condemned? And so, brothers and sisters, as the Lord Jesus hangs on the cross, he is in the company of murderers. 
In effect, we are there on the cross on either side of him. He hangs there on in our company. Note well, though, that only one of the murderers, to, to one of the murderers, did he say that he would be with him in paradise. He did not say it to the other. Only one died in his sins. The other did not. He forgave him his sins. Why? That's an important question to ask. For the answer to that question is important for each and every one of us. In the answer, you will discover our destination. Is it paradise or hell? Is it eternal bliss or eternal misery? And so don't dismiss that question easily. We are speaking here about a matter of life and death. For we are all murderers and we all stand condemned. And so let us listen carefully as I preach to you about the three men on the cross. We will see in the first place that one died in sin. In the second place that the other died without sin. And that finally the third died for sin. Who are these men hanging on the cross on either side of Jesus? In the Gospel of Luke and also in the other Gospels, we are told very little about them. In our text, they are referred to as criminals. And in Matthew 27, verse 30, they are referred to as robbers. Especially from the word used in Matthew, we can safely assume that these men were in reality revolutionaries insurrectionists, rebels. They were of the same ilk as Barabbas. These men belonged to bands of revolutionaries who would rob and kill at will. They wanted to overthrow their Roman overlords through that kind of insurrection. They worshipped the power of the sword. And now the Lord Jesus is hung in the company of such men. He is identified with the criminal element in society. That is what his life on earth has come to. It is clear that the irony of it all does not escape the Jews. Here you have this man who held so much promise. They held him in such a high regard, for he spoke with such authority, and he performed so many great miracles. The crowds were always following him. And he claimed so much greatness for himself. He even claimed to be the Son of God and the Messiah even. But now he is being crucified as a common criminal. And now the people come out once again by droves to watch the spectacle. For we read in verse 27 that a great multitude of people followed him as he made his way to Golgotha. Women bewailed and lamented him. Their sorrow and pity, however, was not because they recognized the Lord Jesus Christ as king. They only did these things out of custom. It was not because they acknowledged him as the Son of God. It was not because they were sorrowful that an innocent man was being led to death. It was not because they saw the momentous significance of this occasion. On the contrary, they came to gawk. They came to be part of a spectacle. They wanted to see the, this failure of a man, this lamentable human being. They wanted to see him humiliated. And we read that the rulers and all the, also the soldiers scoffed 
at him. They mocked him. It was not enough for those men of the Sanhedrin, this Jewish council, to have him convicted of the crime. No, they wanted to see the sentence executed. They wanted to see blood. They wanted to taunt him and to injure him to the bitter end. And so there they stand mocking him with their cowardly and vicious tongues. But they're not the only ones. Also the two murderers on the cross join in. Both of them revile him. It is true that this is not what is recorded in the passage in Luke. But we do read about that in the other gospel accounts. It says in Matthew 27 verse 44, And the robbers, both of them, who were crucified with him, also reviled him in the same way. Both of them went along with the rest of the crowd. For no doubt they too were familiar with this Jesus of Nazareth and his ministry and claims. Just about everybody had heard about him at that time. The people had heard of his great miracles and of his of the magnificent claims about himself. Even Herod the king had heard. They had heard about his claims about the future of the kingdom. Not long before, in answer to a question by the Pharisees about the coming of the kingdom, he had told them about the many things that would happen. And he had told them that the end of the age is coming and that they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. He was referring to himself. They understood very well that he was referring to his kingdom. He would be the great king. And that is why they mocked him. That is why they reviled him. If you are such a great man as you claim that you are, can't you even save yourself? What an imposter you are. You are not any different from any other man. Your words are not in agreement with your actions. And now even those two murderers join in. It's no wonder. Let's ask ourselves. Would you or I have been any different? Would we not also have joined in? Would we not have come to the same conclusion as the others? Would we not also have mocked him for making such outrageous claims? Can you and I be certain that we would have been different? The truth is, of course, that God is the one who works in us. Even as they nail him to the cross and as they revile him, the Lord Jesus prays to his Father in heaven that they be forgiven. For, as he says, they do not know what they are doing. He knows that the rulers of the synagogue, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the soldiers, the crowds, that these people are all acting out of ignorance. And that is human nature. We are blinded by the truth. We find our strength in numbers. We find our strength in the opinion of all those around us. And it is very easy to go along with the crowd. We have a hard time thinking for ourselves. However, confronted with the gospel of salvation, the Holy Spirit works in our hearts to open our eyes and our ears. And that is exactly what happened to one of the robbers. For suddenly, he changes his tune. He calls the other criminal to repentance. He calls those standing around the cross to repentance. He has come to other insight. For some reason, he has become convinced 
This man beside me here, hanging on the cross, is totally unique. That man is not a criminal. This man is totally innocent of the charges against him. He is so convinced that he is right that he rebukes the other criminal in no uncertain term. He alone comes into that insight. The other criminal does not. And so when he, when that unrepentant murderer dies, he dies in his sin. We come to the second point. Why is it that the one murderer comes to such insight and not the other? Why is it that the one robber on the cross died in his sin and the other not? It says in John 7 verse 40, verse 46 that no man spoke like the Lord Jesus. He was unique, absolutely unique. How? In what way? Well, for one thing, he spoke with such absolute authority. He spoke like no other prophet before him. He spoke unfailingly, not to serve himself, but to glorify his Father in heaven. And in so doing, he applied God's word indiscriminately in the lives of men. He did not speak in order to be admired. He did not speak so that others would dote on him. He did not speak in order to earn the admiration of men. No, he spoke the truth. He spoke the truth at all times. And he came to serve and not to be served. And he also spoke with great compassion. He did not look at the appearance of man. He did not judge them by their fine clothes or their impeccable manners and their refined and educated speech. No, he looked at the heart. He reached out to all those who were in miserable circumstances. And also that he did indiscriminately. He always had the welfare of others in mind. He never considered his own deplorable condition. He always had consistently thought of others first. He had great compassion. And that's what makes him so unique. Those qualities were especially clear as he was hanging there on the cross. His wonderful nature came through, especially at that crucial time. We do not exactly know how it came about that the one criminal came to faith and the other did not. Only God knows. He tells us that his Holy Spirit works in many ways. His Holy Spirit works in the hearts of man in ways that we do not know. The Lord Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, verse 8, The wind blows where it wills, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know whence it comes or whither it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. But we do know that God's Spirit works through His Word. And that criminal heard the words that the Lord Jesus speak was speaking as He was hanging on the cross. He heard him say to those who were reviling him, to the very men who crucified him and taunted him, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. He heard those words spoken with absolute conviction and with absolute authority. This criminal saw his wonderful uniqueness. 
He saw how he, in spite of the terrible treatment he was receiving, still reached out to others. Christ's first word on the cross was, uh, was uttered not in, order to, not in order to serve himself. He spoke not in order to alleviate his own suffering. He did not ask the Father for anything for himself. No, he asked him to forgive those very men who nailed him on the cross. He prayed for them who so callously and ruthlessly had him condemned. An innocent man. And because of his words and actions, the one robber was moved by what he heard and saw. And the other one was not. His heart remained hard. No doubt he had heard of this man's reputation. But now this murderer who repented experienced his presence himself. Listen to what he says. He says to the unrepentant murderer, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? He is speaking here about the sentence that all three of them received, the death penalty. They're about to die. They're about to meet their maker. And he rebukes his fellow criminal for thinking about the crimes of others and not his own. He says to him, in effect, look at yourself. You and I, we are receiving the due rewards of our deeds. Here you have another reason that this man came to repentance. He doesn't point his finger at others. He points his finger at himself. He looks at what he has done wrong. Brothers and sisters, it is only those who point fingers at themselves who can come to repentance. It is only those who know themselves to be guilty who will be acquitted before the judgment seat of God. Only those who know that they need God's mercy will be saved. They will also receive it, for they realize that they deserve to die. Let me ask you, do you also realize that you deserve to die? Do you know that you too stand condemned before the throne of God? For you have committed capital crimes, not just once, not just twice, not just ten times, not just a hundred times. No, millions upon millions upon millions of times you have committed capital offenses in your lifetimes. And every time you sin, every single sin you commit causes you to deserve the death penalty. You and I, we are criminals. We are murderers. And only if you realize that, will you allow yourself to, will you throw yourself at the mercy of God. For God has revealed himself as a merciful God. He will forgive you all your sins. He will commit, he will forgive all the crimes that you have committed as long as you humble yourself before him. You have to admit to him time and again what a sinful creature you are. Again and again you must get down on your knees to ask him to forgive you. Only those who do that will be saved. Above the doors of this church building, we should actually put up a sign which says, 
murderers only shall be admitted. The one murderer on the cross admitted that he was guilty. But he also admitted something else. He recognized that Jesus of Nazareth hanging there beside him on the cross was innocent. He says, this man has done nothing wrong. And with these words, he also shows the way for us. We too must see our guilt and acknowledge the innocence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Though innocent, he bore our guilt. And not only must we acknowledge his innocence, we must also acknowledge him as king. By referring to his kingdom, the repentant murderer immediately associated with that name Jesus, royal rule. Just as the angel Gabriel had done when he said to Mary, you shall give him the name Jesus. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and his kingdom will never end. Why did this criminal refer to Jesus' kingdom? Did he think that Jesus is going to establish his kingdom here on earth? No. He knew that that is not about to happen. They're all about to die. He said this because he wanted to remember it when Christ would come again as king. And that is clear from the way this question was phrased in the original language. For in reality is asking him, Jesus, remember me when you come with your kingdom. Another translation paraphrases the question as follows, Remember me, Jesus, when you come as king. As we saw, Christ has spoken about that eschatological coming again and again. From his request, it is clear that he knew about Christ's claims. And so he wants to remember it when Christ returns at the end of this age. But what does Jesus do? Does he grant his request? Yes. But he does more than that. He does much more than that. He says to him, today you will be with me in paradise. He says that is not just going to be fulfilled in the future. No, it is going to be fulfilled now. You will enter with me into my Father's kingdom. You will not die in your sin, but you will die to sin. You will die without sin. For your sins will no longer be remembered. I am the one who dies for sin. I am the one by whose death the sin of all believers will be taken away. We come to the third point. The Lord Jesus personally forgives the repentant murderer. However, with respect to those who crucified with him and humiliated him, he asks the Father to forgive them. Why? That is because the repentant murderer asks for forgiveness, and he acknowledges Jesus as king. He acknowledges his innocence. That repentant murderer has already humbled himself. But those others who had not yet repented, to them it was a different thing. And the Lord Jesus wants the Father to continue to work in them so that they will still come to repentance, so that they too may enter the kingdom of God. We know from the rest of the scriptures that many did not come to repentance. Also many priests 
that many did come to repentance. Also many priests repented from their sins and became Christians. The preaching of the Lord Jesus had great effect also after his death. The Holy Spirit continued to work in the hearts of all men. He does not give up on them. He is patient. And beloved, the same applies today. It may be at one point of our lives that we too could have been participants in the mob that accused and humiliated the Lord Jesus. We could have been among them as insults were hurled at them. Because that is, perhaps that is the state of your heart right now. But God knows our terribly sinful nature. And he works in our hearts to give us insight into our terrible condition so that we do come to him to ask for forgiveness, so that we may live. He is patient with you and me. That is what Good Friday is all about. Good Friday is not about death. No, it is about the victory over death. It is about the victory that Christ has won for all those who believe. And do you know what that victory entails? Do you know what the wonderful result of that victory is? Well, it is much greater than you can ever even begin to imagine. For God's kingdom is a wonderful kingdom. The repentant murderer asked for a blessing in the future. But what does he get? He gets it today. The murderer asked only to to be remembered. But not only will he be remembered, he will be in Christ's presence forever and ever. And that begins on that very day. For what does Christ say? He says to him that today he will enter with him into paradise. And here we see that he equates the kingdom with paradise. Do you realize the significance of that statement, brothers and sisters? Up to now, the people thought of paradise as the Garden of Eden. That is where it all began. That is the wonderful place where Adam and Eve lived in blissful harmony with God, each other, and their surroundings. That was a time of innocence, of total bliss. And now the Lord Jesus is speaking about paradise once again, but he equates it with the kingdom in the life hereafter. And so with this statement to the murderer on the cross, he makes the wonderful statement that sinners are now once again brought into that state of innocence and integrity. That is what paradise is. And that is what he is saying to everyone who believes. That is what he is saying to you and to me. Here on the cross we see Christ as the victor over death. He is going to the kingdom. He is on the way to God's paradise. And all those who believe will be saved. Brothers and sisters, on the cross, on Golgotha, there are three crosses. The Lord Jesus Christ hangs in the middle. On either side hangs a murderer. All three receive the same death sentence. Christ shares our lot with them. But when he dies, his payment is not a payment for all, is not a payment for, is only a payment for all those who believe. It is a payment for sin. His death is an entrance into paradise, not only for himself, but for all those who belong to him. Both murderers ask him to rescue them. One does so in derision, the other does not. The one repents from his sin, the other does not. The one dies with a curse on his lips, the other does not. 
and so one murderer enters with him in the kingdom of his father, the other does not. One mother, murderer dies in his sins, the other does not. Those are the two fates of those two men. Beloved, the cross divides. Only one is helped. Only he is helped who seeks to be rescued, not from the cross itself, but from his sins through the cross of Christ. The Lord Jesus only hears the prayers of those who humble themselves before him. Only for them has he prepared a place in his kingdom in paradise. Brothers and sisters, repent and believe that Jesus has died for your sins, and you too will be with him forever in paradise. Amen.